You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You can have a seat and the kids can now be dismissed to their class. Uh, What a gift and joy to be able to pray and sing as one in Christ and now to be able to sit under God's word as disciples, as learners and followers of Jesus. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, gosh, I'm just pumped that you're all here today. Um, Maybe you've probably made a deep fake Video, she was a, a cheer mom, her daughter was on a cheer squad, I don't know all of the details, but she made a, a deep fake video and, and edited some photos that uh, painted the other girls on her daughter's cheer squad in some, some negative light. And so if you don't know what a deep fake is, it is when, um, it's when someone puts someone else's face on someone else's body in a video, and you think like, what is this like? Microsoft Paint, like how could you not tell that that's happening? But, but there are actually some really incredible AI technologies that make that really difficult. And so I can't imagine something worse than seeing myself say or do something that I never did. Could you imagine that? And it's like, what do you mean you didn't do it? Like, there's the video. Like, of course you did and said that. So so basically, she, uh, she made a video and some photos of some other girls uh, who were drinking and smoking and even nude in some of the videos. So uh, don't worry, like the CIA is on it, and they're trying to figure out how to make sure that, you know, uh, nations aren't compromised by deep fake videos, as if we don't share enough false information anyway. Like, that doesn't help things, right? And so... But you just put yourself in that situation and you say, what is she doing? And I say allegedly because she's not been through court stuff and she's denied those claims, and, which comes with its own thing and all that stuff. But, but, but just uh, if, if we consider that like a hypothetical, if not her, then someone, right? Um, how, how wicked or, or how dare she do such a thing? She would be so compelled uh, to see her daughter like succeed in whatever outlet she's trying to, that she would eliminate the obstacles to that success, and that would come at a cost to those around her. I, I, I just can't imagine. And then if you, if you play that out and you say, gosh, imagine if she faced jail time. I think there's like some misdemeanor stuff, slander and some other things. But imagine if she, she had to pay stiff fines or jail time, and, and maybe that mom or, or someone around her like, Man, I can't believe that she's having to do time for... All she did was, like, edit a video, right? And you could be like, oh, okay. But, but then I think about when I was a kid, let's say nine-year-old me. And boys are... They do silly stuff sometimes. Am I right, Meyer boys? Right? We do that, right? So I'm nine years old, and, like, my friend or my brother, like, this is what you do. Just punch somebody in the arm, right? That's what boys do, and that seems like a fine thing. And then I remember, not, not, not joking, being nine years old and, like... You know, oh, okay. I, what, what would you do? You, you hit him back in the arm, right? And then I remember a scenario in which uh, my, my brother would, would say, well, dude, I, I didn't hit you that hard. And this is nine-year-old me to give you some perspective on who I am. 
This is what I'm thinking. Infinitely harder than I hit you. I only hit you three times as hard as you hit me. You understand how that plays out? It's like, like justice. And so we look at a mom and say, well, all she did was doctor some videos. Yeah, and, and those videos came at a great cost. So what we want is like appropriate time for crime. Like that's what we would call justice. And what's more important to a, a teenage girl than her name, let alone anyone in this room, our name, but, but they might say, you, you lied about me, about me, and you minimized my value, my identity, my, my life, my passion. Maybe you put my career in jeopardy, certainly my future in jeopardy. For what? You overvalued your life or, or your daughter's life or whatever it was that you wanted to see at the expense of my life. You dealt with me unjustly. And so lots of things in that, but this is the protection offered in the ninth commandment. And so we've seen God rescue his people. And we see him begin to build a nation. And he, and he begins, he calls them up in, into a mountain. And he speaks through this advocate, Moses, who kind of intercedes between the people and God. And he says, I'm, I'm establishing my people. And the people say, we are yours, Lord, and we will do what it is that you invite us to do. And God said, okay, so, so here's, what, here's what our community is going to look like. So he gives what, what we've all probably heard, the Ten Commandments. And so the ten words, right? Some call it the Decalogue. Ten words from God to begin to establish the framework for what we would call a just society. And this is the ninth one. This is all it says. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so... In the, the ESV Study Bible, Study Bible is a great resource tool for those who are kind of figuring out what the Bible says, and, and we get to read the Bible for what it is, but there's some helpful notes in, in some different Study Bibles, and this one says this along the lines of, of this text. It said, acting as a false witness suggests a legal trial in which false testimony could lead to punishment for one's neighbor." And this is condemned because it, it has disastrous effects. The Lord's righteousness and justice were to be reflected in this community of Israel, this nation that he's establishing, which was to exclude speaking falsely, especially for the sake of gaining something at the expense of another person and perverting justice. So, so basically... Uh, if someone stands trial and someone speaks something and, and you would say, well, that's not right. That's not right what they're doing. That's not right what they're saying. This speaks to that. So the immediate context for this commandment is, is literally legal testimony in the court of law. And, and we do see that it says you shall not bear false witness. Like don't say things that are untrue against who? Against your neighbor, which in this context, deals with God's covenant community. But what we see uh, as, as this thing kind of spreads and as God's people begin to uh, be developed as a nation, and then we see Jesus come along, and, and someone tries to catch him up when, when, when Jesus says, hey, uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And somebody says, yeah, but who's my neighbor anyway? And so what we, what we see is we don't get to say things that are untrue about other people. In fact, I, I think I'll paint out the case that we don't get to say things that are untrue, period. But the context of this is about other people, certainly in the court of law, but, but it's, it's much bigger than that. For us, gossip, 
You know, like just getting caught up. And just like the day-to-day, it's just so easy to say things that aren't true. Slander, similar, false accusations and claims, taking credit for, for the work of another. Letting others take the blame for something that you did. I heard a few years ago about uh, a former NFL star who, who was invited to speak to the new players like in the NFL to make sure that they were like making good choices and all those things. There's a ton of initiative around that in the NFL. And what he said was, he didn't say, hey, don't like do stupid stuff. He said, hey, when you're out and you're in a context where you might do stupid stuff, make sure you have a fall guy. Make sure you have someone with you that can take the blame for whatever it is that you're doing. That's crazy. That's, that's unjust. And so for us, understanding God's law is to understand the ideal community. Because look, this is not hypothetical. Look, even stuff that I've said already, we're all guilty of. And, and we've all been victim even already. And so we get to understand that, that what God's people get to do is reflect the glory and the nature of who God is. That's what God is establishing. And so in the ancient judicial system, uh, we're, uh, I won't speak for you, many people in this room are American or at least live in this country. And so we, we claim rights. We claim lots of rights. And we have uh, lots of technicality uh, on the books that, that help or hurt in the court of law, but, but this was a little different. So the wider spread uh, judicial system uh, wasn't quite like you see in the U.S. Constitution, right? Those charged in, this, uh, in the ancient Near East, East judicial system, those charged had little protection. Um, they, were, they were not presumed innocent. They were, in fact, presumed guilty until proven innocent. Just start there. Hey, you did, or or how about this? You're a witch. People lose their lives because some some girls started claiming that people were were witches, right? There's some historical context there. You can look that up. But you just think about the the million things that, that this can play out in that can destroy lives. And so they're guilty until proven innocent. There were few standards for presenting evidence. Sometimes those charges, they didn't even get to mount a defense at all. Most ancient courts were willing to convict on the strength of a single witness. So this is prior to like CSI, ancient Israel. There wasn't much to go on. They're not like doing uh, swabs and DNA evidence. And so they say, uh, she did it. And, and she says, no, I didn't. And they're like, let's kill her. She looks like she did it. Can you, can you imagine? So, so eyewitness testimony was kind of a big deal. And so obviously they're subject to abuse. Not just then, but today. And, and there's, uh, there's uh, just an easy outlet to abuse the poor or those without social clout or, or without influence or, or the outcast by way of affliction or... or those that are part of any race or ethnicity or lineage, right? We, we've all seen wicked injustices to the g- degree that's tough to stomach. And for some of you, that's been real life, 
All right? And for, for some of us, that's, that's we see stuff in movies or in shows, and even like silly, like from, this is me, like if I even watch like some silly like teen drama where like uh, he lies about him and then everyone believes it, I'm like, no, I, I, don't, like, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. I watch a ton of teen drama, so. Um, it's, it's judgments to the benefit of the wicked that devalue human life. That's what God is, is protecting. And so, so this is why God would, would build his people on this foundation in, in just a few chapters. See, we have the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, but then, then this teases out through a million instances of, like, in the case of, the, like, we're going to, I'm going to have to preach through some of these, like, if your ox falls into a ditch, and, and if your neighbor doesn't find them, and, the, like, just this crazy case law stuff, but, but God, even just a few chapters in Exodus 23 says this, you shall not spread a false report. Guilty. We've all done that. We have all done that. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Which talks about mass stuff and how easy it is to get swept away in things that are wrong in the name of pleasing the masses. You shall not bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Now, why do you think God would put that in his word for us? Because God knows how humans work. That's why. That's why he would say that. So later on, in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy, some other books, as, as kind of the laws uh, unfold, um, God would cut against the grain of, of global culture of the day, and he would demand a jury of peers. That's pretty cool. It's not a, a U.S. construct, a, a jury of peers. And also, he, he shifts, uh, if you're curious about this, Numbers 3530, um, Deuteronomy 176, and, uh, and Deuteronomy 19.15. He even goes on and he says, 19.15, sorry. He, he goes along and says uh, that there shall be no death sentence in crimes proven by only one witness. Because he values justice. But where there is no truth, there can be no justice. Across the board, judges, uh, accusers, lawmakers, uh, the jury, the lawyers, eyewitnesses. And, and, and if all this is true, then... The same is true now within the society that we live in. In other words, everyone involved in the entire legal process has an obligation to maintain the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's not just true in the courtroom, but the courtroom of life where we all make judgments every day of our life. Finally, we get to this, right? The, the main idea of the words that I'm going to share. God's community speaks truth through love in the name of justice. God's community speaks truth through love in the name of justice. God says the, the shall words, you shall not or you shall. What he's saying is, because you are mine, you shall not walk in these ways. Be, because, not you shall not so that you might be mine. Because you are mine. You don't get to live 
in such a way. Right? So, so how do in the community built on God? Well, well, I want to give you three kind of larger chunks and then three quick applications at the end. The first one is this. Truth dwells in God's I thought I was being timed. My water break. Love you guys for that. Um, <clears throat> truth dwells in God's people, lest we forget. Like, if you want to live a life of truth, then, then we get to start. Look, you know where you're not going to start? You're not going to start by, like, me just telling you, hey, like, stop lying. Be kind to people. Oh, okay. Whew. We get to start, um, if you want to live a life of truth, start by knowing the author of truth and let him conform you to his ways. I worked in a packaging factory years and years and years and years, hundreds of years ago. And we did lots of stuff in there and it was like a lot of like uh, assembly line type stuff. And I remember putting bottles on a conveyor belt, and then at the end, uh, man, just a, a sidebar. I wasn't very good at that. And, like, there were, like, these, these older women that had been there for, like, a long time, and, and I just kept putting them on. The, and there was, like, a weight thing, and so if too many got on, the, then they would, like, the whole thing would shut down, and they're like, dude, you're not very good at this. Like, go do something else, right? But anyway, and so I remember, like, putting them on there, and, and, and then at the end, we'd come down, and we'd put them in this machine, and it would, like, heat, seal, shrink wrap, Right? And stuff's not moving. So much that you could barely even tell that the shrink wrap was on there. And, and here's the thing. Like, I, we, we did like air fresheners that day and some stuff was coming down and it's wrapping up. And in the same way, truth people get to speak. They get to live overlaid upon truth so tightly that it's tough to distinguish us from the truth in which we walk in. And, and even more than that, the spirit of truth, God himself but in the people of God. This is incomprehensible. It's too much to handle. The, the God who made everything that is, He doesn't live in temples made with hands. He lives inside of His people. How can that be? Right? You come here, and we say this every week, Thanks for gathering together as the Village Church, right? Say, hey, where are we going? Uh, we're going to the 210. We say that not to just be like cultural critics, but because the people of God and in, in, in this local body space, and you might say, well, that's because we gather in a basement. But if we had a steeple, then that would be the church. And I would tell you, no, no, it's the gathering place of that local expression of God's church. So that's why we do that. But, but it, 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 so this isn't the, um, Jesus says this in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, capital H, helper, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Right? The Holy Spirit is often called the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive. And so, look, if you're in this room and you are not, uh, 
You have not turned from your sin, trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life? Like, this is, this is not a reality for you. And we love you, and we're for you, and God would invite you into his family. But this is not true for you. To, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, to the church, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And we see the fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascends. He said, ascend one better than me, and he will come and he descended upon his people, and, and now he takes up residence in like the churches with the upon his name. That's where the Spirit of God dwells. Are, are you kidding me? The Spirit of truth awakens his people to need him, to know him, to trust him. And we respond in faith to all that Jesus has done, that he died for us, that, that, that he has acquitted us of sin, that he has given us righteousness, that, that he has forgiven us, and then the Spirit of truth seals us and dwells in us. How can this be? And we pray prayers like this. God, would you just be here today? And would you just, God, would you just hang out with us? And would you just be near to us? And would you dwell among us today? And I, and I get that in, like a, in, in a way that, that says, God, we, we need to know that you're here today. But, but the reality is, uh, the, the amazing aspect of this is that, that God is dwelling among his people inside of us. And in the Old Testament, we see just after this, in the, in the coming chapters in the book of Exodus, he builds a tabernacle, and in some way his, his location is kind of tethered to this tabernacle. And then, then we see Jesus come along. We see Jesus was the, the temple of God, perfect, fully God, fully man. And, and, and if Jesus was on a boat, then in some sense his body was not also on the shore. Right? And he didn't give up anything about him being God. But, but in his flesh, he was in, in one place. And so he ascended and he sends the spirit that's, that's in all who call upon his name. And the implications of this, uh, they never cease. It means that you, if you're in Christ, you're never alone. Ever. And that goes a, a couple ways. Like when you sin against the Lord, you're not doing that in secret. And, and when you're broken... And no one seems to know what you're dealing with. Like he's, he's not some God in outer space. He is, he is in us. He has sealed us. He reminds us of truth. He points us to the glory of Jesus. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is that he illuminates truth. He shines bright God's word that we might know him. What a gift. So the spirit of truth has a home and that home is in you as a part of God's family, the church, the body of Christ. So like those air fresheners, our flesh is overlaid upon, upon the Spirit. And, and therefore, God's work in us is conforming us to the image of Christ. And, and Christ was the epitome of truth in the flesh. The second thing we see is, is this. Truth, people speak through love. Have you ever heard this, um, like, man, you, you're not speaking my language. And maybe that shows up in, in, like, music that might have great lyrics, but you just can't hear it because the music's terrible, right? Uh, or you just don't, like, jive with that style, and it's like, hey, check this song out. And, like, you're like, this is terrible. 
But the words might be great, but I just cannot hear what you're saying because the music is it's terrible. Or, or, or maybe like this, like my wife and I, we've been married for, hey Kim, we've been married for uh, almost 19 years in May. And the craziest thing, like we argue. That was it. 19 years together for 25 years and we, and we still argue. And, and uh, I think we're getting better at arguing um, in, in the good way, I think. But then... But then this has been a problem in the past, but like when I'm thinking about it right here in front of all these people, like I think we're doing okay. And so Kim's like, I, what is he going to say? I don't know what it is. And, and it showed up like this, like we're fighting about something and we're like, hey, that. And it's like, yeah, I know that. Let's fight about that. And then like 10 seconds later, we're like, yeah, but, but I didn't really like the way that you said that. And it's like, well, but you know, like this is the thing. And I know I'm the problem in this most often. Like, this is the thing, that's what we're fighting about. And then it's like, yeah, but, but when you said it like that, can we talk about that for a second? It's like, oh, gosh, you're derailing. This is the problem. It's not this. We're not speaking the same language. You get me, right? Uh, or maybe you've heard it like this, um, and this is not us. This is a, a separate point, right? Maybe someone says something, and it's just, like, so abrasive that you're like, dang. And they're like, what? I'm just being honest. Like, as if if you just add that line to anything, like, oh, it's, you're just being honest. Oh, okay. Well, then you can say whatever you want, however you want. Just punch me in the face, too. Like, and just, that is, if you have to justify yourself by saying, I'm just being honest, you should evaluate how you said whatever you said just before that. And I'm not saying you're always the one that's wrong. But I'm saying that you could be. <laughs> the Bible says it this way. You can have faith to move mountains. But if you don't love, you're just really annoying. In, in fact, it says you're a clanging symbol. But really, you're just really annoying. Do you get it? The truth and love, they, they're like a great tag team. But when you try one without the other, that is not good. And, and it goes both ways. Love, like I get it, and some of you are like, oh yeah, can't we just love? And so we avoid saying tough things. These things, they, they play together. Every, and here's, here's my point and all that. Everyone speaks the language of love. Like everyone. And we might miss on what that looks like. And we don't get to be people who speak truth apart from love in, in marriage or in court or or any other way. No matter the context, truth people get to let truth inform and inflame our hearts for one another. And that's really tough sometimes. I'm not saying that these are easy things, right? Why? Well, because, because what is true is that God loved us first. And that changes everything. God loved us first when we were at our worst, when we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for you. And so if you think that, like, I got to, as people say, I got to clean myself up and get some things right, and then I'm going to begin to maybe, like, go to church and, you know, like, uh, pray or follow Jesus, but I got to, like, work on myself first. Like, that is not how this thing works. You, here's some truth. You're an utter disaster. Me. 
everyone in the room. You, you, when you think you have it together, you, then, then you, you have it less together than you do right now. When you start there, and you say, that's when, that's when Jesus came, and he hung on a cross, and he gave up his life, and he suffered the sins of mankind. When you thought you had it together, right? But, but really, it was, it was your worst day. And so we say, we crucified Jesus by our sins. You start there, that is the power that changes our identity. Our identities are transformed by the, the love of God that grips us deeply, that melts hearts of stone and ice and gives us hearts of, of flesh. It's the power of truth and love that causes cheer moms to lead their daughters to celebrate the gifts of others, even if it costs them. That's a big difference. It's truth and love that leads families and churches to report abusers rather than hide abuse in the name of self-interest. It's truth and love. It's the Spirit's work through truth and love that allows atheists to turn their gaze to the potential of a creator, God, redeeming, loving, sustaining all that is. I mean, I'm not going to read this long quote, but there's this guy's name's Jordan Peterson, and he's a psychologist, professor, author, YouTube influencer, all these things, and he's kind of built his life and platform around some books and some things about morality, but, but not in the name of God, right? Um, in, in, in a recent interview, there's this moment that he has where he kind of breaks through these tears, and he says stuff, and some of it's kind of abstract, and it's kind of tough to get a handle on, but, but basically he says, like, like what, what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who, who actually lived plus a myth. And he says, it's, that's his words, not my words, right? And, and he says it's like all kind of too much. And, and he begins to break and like through tears. He says like this, this uh, I'm just going to read it, all right? The union of these two things. The problem is that, that I probably believe that. Right? He says, in some sense, Christ is the union of these two things. Probably, uh, the, the problem is that I probably believe that. And again, through tears, I'm amazed at my own belief. And I don't understand it because, because I've seen sometimes the objective world and the narrative world, that's saying like the things that you can touch and like the story of the world uh, and the story of life. I've seen that, that in, in my own life that these things actually touch and I believe it's undeniable. And, and you know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. The world that tells us how to act. And it's real. It's not the narrative world, but it's real. The narrative and objective world. See why I wasn't reading this, but we're getting there. The, the, the narrative and objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to make of it. And he's like, gripped in just emotion, and he says, it seems to be oddly plausible. And I still don't know what to make of it, partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen if one fully believed it. He searches for words and thought constructs and implications and, and causes, but he's circling around what we know that God revealed himself to us in truth, 
through love in the person Jesus and its foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. And, 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 and the power for what? To speak truth in love that God might be put on display and that justice might roll down. So truth, people, speak truth through the language of love in a courtroom or on a cheer squad or in your living room or on the job site or on social media. The things that we say get to be true things. And the reality is saying true things may come at a deep cost to your world, to your livelihood, to your relationships, and it's worth every bit of it. The third point, truth and love is the fountain of justice. I love soccer. I love, uh, I've coached soccer a bunch in the past. I love that. I love to play soccer. I'm old, can't do that. My knees will break off probably now. But uh, what I don't love about soccer is when grown men flop and flail as if they've, their ankle's been shot with a shotgun, right? And they roll around. I mean, you should watch some, some soccer flop YouTube videos. Hilarious, all right? It'll take the edge off the weight of the day a little bit. Not right now. Don't do that. So just yesterday, I was watching Belgium versus the Czech Republic and some Olympic qualifiers, and I'm thinking about justice and all this stuff, and I see this dude run into the sideline, and, and this guy, he, he slides, kicks the ball. This guy jumps over him, falls, rolls, holds his ankle. He's dying. They're calling his family and everything. Not really, right? It's terrible. And, the, and then the ref comes over, and he gives the guy a yellow card, not the flopper, but the dude who slid to kick the ball, all right? And the guy's like... You know, he's speaking another language. I don't know what he's saying. But he's like pointing to the screen like, just what? no, I didn't. And yeah, but, the yellow, but you get a yellow card. That's what you get for doing that. And then, but you watch the replay. He never, literally never touched him. And I'm just like, you know what? That is not okay. That is not soccer. And man, flops are unjust, right? Real, real life. I'm being for real. Like, we don't get to do that. It's such a small thing. But you can see the implications of that. In anything that we do, false witness against neighbor from the soccer pitch to, the, to a backyard basketball game, to, to the water cooler, to, to, to the courts, our lips hold the power of justice flowing through truth and love. And, and when, a, when a cop plants evidence and, and, and pins a crime on someone so that they can solve the case, that is not okay. And, and when a judge takes a payoff and when a neighbor is silent about when they saw something happen because snitches get stitches and I ain't, I ain't about that, not okay. It's, it's not okay. We get to be truth people, and sometimes that, that costs us. When you bump a car in a parking lot, I did that this winter, and I'll spare the details. But I'm not going to lie, for like a millisecond, I was like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I like stuck it out and insurance and stuff, you know? We lie... <laughs> We lie against others to protect ourselves and to promote ourselves and to preserve self and to get what we want at the expense of 
another, and, and we wrong others for selfish gain. We harm others to further our ploys and our schemes when we lie. Look, the words that we say, the, the Bible like talks highly of how difficult it is to tame our tongues, all right? And James says a bunch of stuff in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 12, but I just want to read a couple. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And he goes on, he says, we can tame any beast of the sea or of the air, of the, of the grass, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's the Bible. That's different than like sticks and stones may break my bones. That, like, that shifts the weight. And some of you have been hurt so deeply that you would say, I would take a broken bone any day of the week over the words that someone spoke to me. Justice says you get what you deserve. Right? It, it's, it's to do what's right. But the problem with that is, is when we all define what's right, we get ourselves in trouble. God defines what's right straight away, every time, every moment, through all people, through, through all time. And, and I read this week, uh, I just have to say this, and you're probably going to be mad at me, but it's okay. Nothing weakens the tremendous power of the word truth like putting the word your in front of it. See, because then you become the gatekeeper of reality, and you're not. It's like, can we be a people that don't talk about your truth? And that doesn't mean that we don't listen. It doesn't mean that we don't sit with people in their brokenness, that we don't hear their stories. God is the author of truth. And so the highlight of all of this is this, don't lie in court. All right, so, so people get what they deserve and they don't get what they don't deserve and the implications are for us to use words to build up, to shine light on truth rather than to make villains of the righteous. And what's mandatory for this to flow through hearts and households and courts and communities and cities and nations is some standard and one of the baseline standards that God builds into his family is this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. You can't do that by the law. Our only hope to be a people who speaks truth for our neighbor rather than falsehood against our neighbor is to walk with the one who bathed in the fountain of injustice so that we might be baptized in the fountain of grace. That is our only hope, that we walk with the one who took on injustice, that we might be set free to live a life that's true. And, and look, why is it so hard to tame the tongue? Because all the tongue does was say what's in our heart. So what we need are new hearts to be able to walk in this type of justice. I'm almost done. I want to read a quote, John Piper, that the gospel unleashes in the world. 
but to live for more than justice. Justice is minimalist. A life devoted to treating people as they deserve is not a Christian life. God in the gospel treated us better than we deserve. That is not justice. We don't get justice in the gospel. God got justice in the gospel. We don't get justice. We get grace. And he unleashes on the world a people in the church and spilling out of churches who treat each other. He's saying, uh, how can I live a just life? How can, I, how can I be just? How can I be just? Rather, how can I be gracious and loving and kind? How can I love my enemy? How can I go the extra mile? How can I, when I'm sued to go one mile, go two miles? When I'm sued to give my coat, give them also my cloak as well. The gospel unleashes a way beyond justice. So Christians shouldn't be known mainly as the justice people. That's minimalist. We start there Then we go beyond. Christ will be known in the culture when we treat people better than they deserve, not as they deserve. So as the band comes up, three quick hitters. If you just want to say, well, how do I start doing this today? Right? You can check these things out. Right? Invite the God of truth into your life. Oftentimes the the church says, hey, like, ask Jesus into your heart. And that, I don't know what that means. But... But what we get to do is we get to say, God, you, you are the, the author and, and the storyteller, and I want to I join your story. And I know I can't do that by my good deeds. There's nothing that I can do to join your work. But today, because of what you've done for me, would you let me join you in the story that you have to redeem this world, to establish your kingdom, you and your people forever? The second thing is speak truth in all of life. Like, how about this? Say things that are true and don't say things that are not true. And that might be harder than you think. James real practically says it this way, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And lastly, stand on truth to defend life. Whenever you have the opportunity, speak truth against justice or against injustice. God's community speaks truth through love in the name of justice. And so we get to respond to all that today. And we're going to celebrate baptism. And and as a reminder, if you have kids in the back, like don't just run and grab a kid, but go through those doors and figure out how to get your kid, right? And and try to get back here as soon as possible. There's probably not going to be room for everyone to stand up. And so the people coming back there, that's okay. Just find a spot or whatever. Uh, Sit down. Did I say stand up? You know what I mean. Um, we get to respond with the band and, and sing. We get to respond by praying right where we are. Um, would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are the God of truth, that you are the God of love, and that you are the God of justice. Would you let us be those people today by your grace, through our faith in the one who gives us new hearts, who redeems the words of our tongue, And we love you and we need you in Jesus' name.